Hi, I'm Bree. And I'm Haley. And this is Calendar of Crime, where each week we examine a case from this week in history. Today's case comes out of Vallejo, California, where a 15-year-old girl was abducted in plain sight on her way to school on the morning of May 25, 2016. Despite eyewitnesses and a frantic search that began for the teenager, Pearl Pinson is still missing to this day. Pearl Jean Francis Pinson was born on December 15, 2000 to Joyce Mitchell and James Pinson. She lived in Vallejo, California. Her younger brother, William, lived at home with her. Her older sister, Rose, was living in nearby Concord, California. In the spring of 2016, Pearl was finishing up her freshman year at Jesse Bethel High School in Vallejo. We're going to start this case off a little differently and talk about the city before we get into Pearl's abduction. This case feels very personal to me. I went to high school in the city right next to Vallejo, and I remember when Jesse Bethel High opened in 1998. Yeah, this is the first case that we've done that truly happened in our own backyards. Yeah, this is our first super local case. So let's talk about Vallejo, because I have lived close enough to it my entire life to know that no one would describe it as a safe city. No, they definitely wouldn't. Vallejo has always had a high crime rate, even back when I was in high school, and in 2021, it was ranked as safer than 7% of U.S. cities. Or, to put it another way, 93% of cities in the entire country were rated as safer than Vallejo. There's a 1 in 104 chance of being a victim of a violent crime in Vallejo. Yeah, those statistics are pretty damning. I don't know about you, but when I'm there, it doesn't necessarily feel like that. Do you feel like it feels dangerous to be there? Honestly, not really. If you're from the Bay Area, you know that Vallejo ranks right up there with Oakland in terms of the potential for criminal activity. But I spent a lot of time in Vallejo as a teenager because my podunk town next to it didn't even have a movie theater. And I lived in Vallejo as an adult for a while a few years ago. While there are some areas in Vallejo that I wouldn't feel comfortable walking through at night, and some that I probably wouldn't walk through during the day even, I think that like most places, you get used to your little area and you feel pretty safe in familiar surroundings. So is that why you were comfortable there living as an adult? Because even though it's pretty dangerous, it doesn't necessarily feel that way? Well, the thing about the Bay Area is that it is super expensive to live here. The cost of living is pretty outrageous. I was born here, and I've always lived here, and at one point I was priced out of living anywhere else. Vallejo is about as inexpensive as the Bay Area gets, and I think a lot of people that have lived their whole lives around here would be willing to live there in order to stay near their friends, family, and support systems. I definitely agree with that. So all of this is just to give some context to the place where Pearl and her family lived. I don't know why Pearl's family lived in Vallejo, but just based on my own personal experience, I think that cost of living could definitely have played a role. I can also say that when Pearl was born in 2000, that's the same time period I was in high school, and although the crime rate was high back then, it wasn't like what it is today. Vallejo did feel safer 20 years ago, so it's possible that the crime just increased around them. The reason why this is important is that I've seen many people point to the fact that Pearl's case may not have gotten the attention or focus it deserved because of where Pearl was from. Right, which totally sucks. Anyone who's a victim of a violent crime deserves to have their story told, 
regardless of their race, gender, socioeconomic status, or really any other classifier. So let's talk about Pearl. Pearl was 15 in May of 2016. She was free-spirited, and she had a dog that she adored named Misty. She loved to skateboard and sought out skateboard parks to practice her skills. Her sister Rose described her as part tomboy, part girly girl, and said that she loved makeup, getting her nails and hair done, and music, and especially loved Guns N' Roses. In the spring of 2016, Pearl's hair was streaked with bright green, and she had a lip piercing. She sounds like she was someone I would have wanted to hang out with in high school. For real. Bright colored hair, piercings, and skateboarding? That is 100% my people we definitely would have hung out in high school. Pearl was really close with her siblings, but she was going through some bullying at school. Her sister Rose, who was 18 at the time of Pearl's abduction, posted on Facebook in 2018 that on the night of May 24th, 2016, Pearl had called her and told her that some of the kids from school were threatening to jump her the next day and that she was scared to go. Rose doesn't know who those kids were. She posted on Facebook that, quote, Pearl never told me. She just begged me to come home the night before because she was scared to go to school because they were going to jump her. Kids can be really shitty to each other. Do we think this incident had anything to do with her abduction? No, her sister stated that she doesn't believe it was related at all, just that the kids were being awful to each other, like you said. In 2020, one of Pearl's classmates spoke to a local news station, KTVU, and said that they were feuding the week before Pearl was abducted. She stated, quote, we had some freshman high school drama going on. We all know about freshman high school drama. Absolutely. The next morning was May 25th, 2016. Pearl woke up late and had to rush out of her house for school. She headed for the bus stop where she would catch the bus to Jesse Bethel High. In order to get to the bus stop, she had to cross a pedestrian overpass located above Interstate 780. Pedestrian overpasses are really common here, but I'm not sure if they're everywhere. I did try to look it up to see if they were as common in other places as they are here, but I wasn't able to find a definitive answer. So just in case they're not, to clarify, a pedestrian overpass is a bridge for pedestrians that goes over major freeways, and we have a ton of them here in the Bay Area. Yeah, I would imagine that they're probably more common in cities and urbanish areas. This was the same way that Pearl normally got to school, but on this morning, her normal routine didn't go to plan. Shortly before 7 a.m., several witnesses reported hearing a scream coming from the overpass. The witnesses saw a Hispanic man with a gun dragging a teenage girl across the walkway. Her face was bleeding and she was screaming for help. One witness said she ran to call for help, while another watched as the man shoved the girl into the trunk of a gold Saturn sedan. A homeless man who saw the altercation tried to rush to her aid, but the man shot at him and drove off. Holy shit. So all of this is just happening in broad daylight in front of a ton of witnesses. I know, it's unbelievable. Police immediately responded to the scene and located two key pieces of evidence. Two small puddles of blood on one side of the overpass and a cell phone on the other side. They were able to identify Pearl Pinson as the victim almost immediately, thanks to the cell phone, but it took 30 hours before they issued an Amber Alert for her. That is a ridiculously long amount of time. Can we talk about Amber Alerts for a second? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. 
Nationwide, there's five criteria law enforcement have to meet in order to issue an Amber Alert. They have to have reasonable belief that an abduction has taken place, that the child is in imminent danger of serious bodily harm or death, the child is 17 years old or younger, that there's enough descriptive information of the victim and the abduction, and that the child's name and other critical data elements have been entered into the National Crime Information Center system. Based on all that, it sounds like we had all that information about Pearl immediately when she went missing. But a license plate number or a vehicle description is required in order to issue an Amber Alert, right? You know, I always thought that, but no, it's not required. And by California's standards, Pearl's case absolutely met the criteria. There were witnesses to her abduction, the perpetrator had a gun, she was only 15, and they had a description of the vehicle. I don't have a good explanation as to why it took 30 hours for the alert to be issued. It's super frustrating that the public did not know to be on the lookout for her or for that gold Saturn sedan for so long after her abduction. Yeah, that totally doesn't make any sense to me. It's an incredible amount of time lost, and she absolutely met all of the criteria. Yeah, 30 hours is a massive amount of time when a child is clearly in imminent danger. The only good news is that by the time they did issue the alert, they had a full description of the vehicle, including the license plate number. By then, authorities had already identified the suspected abductor based on the witness descriptions of him and of his vehicle. He was identified as 19-year-old Fernando Castro. Castro had a minor criminal history, but nothing that would have indicated that he would perpetrate this kind of violent abduction. What exactly does that mean? From what I could tell from the source material, it basically meant that he had no criminal record for stalking or crimes against women. Unfortunately, criminal records in California aren't public record, so we don't know exactly what his prior convictions may have been. That's frustrating, but not entirely surprising. California is definitely a right-to-privacy kind of state. Yes, it definitely is. When this case initially hit the news, reports stated that Fernando and Pearl might have known each other, but the police later determined that to be false. As far as they were ever able to deduce, the two had never met before in person and they had no interaction online or by social media. They did live in the same general area, so it's possible that Castro may have seen Pearl around the neighborhood, but Pearl had never suggested to anyone that she felt like she was being followed or stalked or anything like that. So then, is there any idea as to why he abducted her? It doesn't sound like it was targeted? We don't know for sure, so it very well may have been a crime of opportunity. Ugh, that's so scary. Super scary. Police went and spoke to Castro's family, and they all stated that they had no idea where he could have gone. They expressed shock and disbelief that he had been implicated in this sort of a violent crime. Okay, but I feel like that's a pretty expected reaction. I wouldn't think that the police would show up saying that a family member had been implicated in kidnapping a teenage girl, and his family would just be like, oh yeah, that checks out. Yeah, I mean, it would totally be one thing if this was some guy who had just gotten out of prison for kidnapping. But since he didn't seem to have exhibited this kind of behavior before, it's not hard for me to believe that his family was blindsided. A few hours after the Amber Alert finally went out at 3.10 in the afternoon of May 26, 2016, Castro's car was spotted headed south on the 101 freeway near Los Alamos. Los Alamos is about 300 miles south of Vallejo 
and I've seen reports that state that he had driven a great distance from the scene of the crime, but the reality is that Los Alamos is about a four and a half hour drive from Vallejo, and one that we might easily make in a day to go spend just a few nights in Central California. Yeah, I think people often don't realize how large California is. We'll take a drive to Disneyland from Northern California, which is like a six or seven hour drive without even considering it to be a super far off destination. Yeah, totally. Since Castro was from the Bay Area, I think it's safe to assume that being four to five hours away from the scene of the crime 30 plus hours later does not indicate he had taken Pearl and decided to run as fast as possible. Agreed. Castro's car had been spotted by a California Highway Patrol officer who recognized the car from the Amber Alert. The officer attempted to pull Castro over, but he did not stop. Instead, he began to lead police on a high-speed chase. More CHP officers and the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department took part in the chase, and Castro tried really hard to lose them, at one point even driving the wrong way on the freeway. God, that makes my stomach hurt just thinking about it. It's putting so many innocent bystanders at risk for no reason. Yeah, he was clearly desperate. He eventually exited the freeway in the small town of Buellton and then drove into the neighboring town of Solvang, where he crashed into a barricade at a mobile home park. Castro shot at police as he exited his vehicle and broke into a mobile home. A woman who lived in the home managed to escape without injury. God, that is so lucky of her. It seemed like he was attempting to take a hostage to gain leverage against the police, but he was unsuccessful since she managed to get out. Castro holed up in the mobile home for a while, and police attempted to negotiate with him, but he wasn't interested. Instead, he noticed that there were keys for a Toyota Tundra in the home, and he attempted to flee again in the truck. That is absolutely insane. Super desperate actions, just like you said. A hundred percent. And although he made it to the truck, the authorities closed in on him and he began to shoot at them again. The officers returned fire and struck Castro. When they had immobilized him, paramedics were called and Castro was pronounced dead at the scene from multiple gunshot wounds. Was there any sign of Pearl? Nope, that was the million dollar question. Pearl was not with him. When Castro's car was processed, there was nothing to indicate where Pearl may be. The only evidence they found of Pearl was her blood in the trunk, but there wasn't a lot of it, not enough to indicate that she'd been gravely injured or killed. Authorities theorized that she might still be alive, but if she was, she could be anywhere within the 300 miles from Vallejo to Los Alamos. It's a huge area to search, but investigators soon learned that Castro had been spotted on surveillance camera on Sir Francis Drake Boulevard near the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge at 9.30 a.m. on the morning that Pearl had been abducted. This location was about 30 miles southwest, which is 40 minutes away from the abduction site. Theoretically, he could have been spotted there on his way to 101 South from Vallejo, right? Yes, theoretically, he could have been spotted there on his way south. It wouldn't have been the most direct route, but he definitely could have gotten there that way. However, authorities also found surveillance footage of Castro from a gas station near Bodega Bay, which is about 55 miles northwest, a little over an hour from the abduction site. Okay, that's literally the opposite direction of where he was spotted on the 101 the next day. So it sounds like Castro headed toward the coast and traveled north before he began his drive down to Los Alamos. 
Yes. And because of that, authorities began searching the North Bay area, particularly along waterways, but they didn't find any evidence of Pearl. After the footage near Bodega Bay was found, on May 28, 2016, the Solano County Sheriff's Department deployed 65 law enforcement personnel and search and rescue teams to search a 25-square-mile area of the Willow Creek Environmental Camp in Sonoma Coast State Park. This area is located in Jenner, California, near the Russian River and very close to where Castro had been spotted on that gas station camera. Did they find anything of interest? Unfortunately, no. The search came up empty. The Solano County Sheriff's Department stated that, quote, nothing was found during the search that would indicate Pearl is there. Investigators continue to follow up on leads and any future search will depend on where those leads take us. At that point, authorities appealed to the public to check their outdoor surveillance cameras to see if they may have caught Castro or his car in their footage, but no one came forward with any information. So were there future searches for Pearl? No, that was the only organized search that was held. And although initially tips came in frequently, none of them amounted to anything. At this point, the case went cold. I can't believe they didn't keep looking. It sucks that Castro was killed before authorities could get any kind of information from him. It really does. Pearl's family has expressed having mixed feelings about that, with her uncle Aaron Pinson stating that, quote, they should have stopped him and got the information they needed, but instead they went gung-ho on him. And her sister Rose added that, quote, police didn't only take his life, but they took the answers to our questions. On that day when he was killed, I had mixed emotions. I'm angry now because I can't go ask him where he took my sister and what he did to her. I'm also relieved because I know he won't ever hurt another child again. Detective Sean Madsen of the Solano County Sheriff's Department has been assigned to the case since it happened, and he has also expressed frustration over Castro's death, stating that, quote, Obviously, I want to find Pearl. Not having him, that is frustrating too, not having the opportunity to even try. Pearl's sister Rose has said that she thinks it's possible that her sister was kidnapped to be trafficked and has stated that, quote, I'd rather have my sister in sex trafficking and alive than somewhere dead. That's my hope. And that makes sense. But Detective Matson said there's no evidence of sex trafficking and added that, quote, I hope she is alive. I don't have evidence that she's not. I think as time goes by, it seems less likely. His whole response to everything indicates he did something pretty severe. As an aside, what kind of evidence would they be looking for to figure out if someone was being trafficked? I mean, I don't really know, but I would think that maybe they would be looking for like clues on the internet or, you know, some sort of electronic paper trail between Castro and somebody else. It would seem as if if that was the case, that Castro would have had to have handed her off to somebody, right? And you would think that there would be some sort of evidence about that. Right, which is true. But if he drove in all these weird directions, he doesn't really seem like he's on the run. So what was he doing after he dropped off Pearl? You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally do know what you mean. And I wish that we could get those answers from him. I would love to believe that Pearl is alive somewhere, but Castro's kamikaze mission that ultimately led to his death, makes me feel like he felt like there was no recovering from whatever it is that he did. I agree with that. 
Shortly after Pearl's abduction, several agencies, including the Vallejo Police Department, the Solano County Sheriff's Office, and private donors, came up with a combined reward of $10,000 to be offered to anyone with information leading to Pearl's whereabouts. Unfortunately, no one has ever been able to claim that reward. Pearl's family has done everything that they can to keep her name in the public's view and to make sure that she's not forgotten. Her sister Rose uses her Facebook page to write messages to and about Pearl, but also to advocate for other missing and endangered kids and women. The family has had several public vigils for Pearl on the overpass that she was abducted from and created flyers that they've distributed throughout California. On November 2, 2020, the family suffered another tragic loss when Rose's fiancé, the father of her newborn son, was shot on Broadway Street in Vallejo. Although he survived the initial shooting, he succumbed to his injuries on November 8, 2020. That's devastating. It is. This family has been through so much in the last six years. Last year, on May 25, 2021, Family members, friends, and activists marked the five-year anniversary of Pearl's abduction by setting off balloons near the site of the crime. Rose spoke to the Vallejo Times-Herald and said that there had been no new developments and that she hadn't spoken with anyone at the sheriff's department for a few years, stating that, quote, The lead detective stopped working on it about two years ago, but every time I call the Solano Sheriff's Office, they don't call me back. There have been no new leads, unfortunately. Wow, that sucks. It makes it seem like no one is really working on this case anymore. I wonder if that has to do with the violent crime rate in Vallejo. I mean, I would guess so, and other people think so too. There are posts on the Find Pearl Pinson Facebook group from Vallejo residents suggesting that if Pearl had been from a different city, there might still be a focus on finding out what happened to her. And I agree. Not only does Vallejo have a high crime rate, it's also been at the center of a lot of controversy surrounding its police department in the last couple of years. There have been allegations of police misconduct and corruption, particularly after a few high-profile officer-involved shootings. So basically you're saying that they've probably allocated a lot of their resources to trying to save face for their own department. Yeah, I don't see how they honestly could not have. And that absolutely sucks. It means that there's probably not a whole lot being done officially to find Pearl. This has to be so devastating for the family because you know that they miss her and they need answers. Rose posts on her Facebook directly to Pearl from time to time, saying in one post last year, quote, I love and miss you so much, sis. I wish I could just call you up and tell you everything that's been going on over the past five years. I wish I could see you smile and laugh again. Her family deserves closure. They absolutely do. Pearl Pinson is described as a Caucasian female with light brown hair and blue-green eyes. She is 5 feet 3 inches tall. At the time of her disappearance, she had dyed green hair, a lip piercing on the lower left side, and was wearing a black and white zip-up jacket, a gray sweatshirt, black leggings, pink, black, and white Nike turf shoes, and a black Raiders beanie. She was carrying a black and turquoise backpack with a Joker emblem on it. Pearl would be 21 years old today. If you have any information regarding Pearl's case, please call the Solano County Sheriff's Department at 707-784-1963 or contact Pearl's family on the Find Pearl Pinson Facebook page, which we will link to in our show notes and on our website. 
For all details and sources regarding this case, you can check the show notes or go to our website, calendarofcrime.com. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Calendar of Crime, and we'll be back next week with a brand new case from that week in history.